Okay, we'll be in John chapter 4, throwing a bit of a, a change up in there. Uh, the bulletin says something different, because I thought I was going to preach something different. And then I decided to move on. So, uh, the screen behind me is right, the bulletin in front of you is not. John four, forty-three. I don't want you to forget, though, what we've talked about over the past two weeks, right? For the past two weeks, we've been in Samaria, and we've been with Jesus and this woman at this well. And what we have seen is that Jesus pursued this woman and won her. That he began with her thirst, and then he took her to her disappointing relationships, and then he went even further to the, to the object of her worship, and he revealed to her that she actually didn't know what she worshipped. She worshipped in ignorance, and that he was the true object of worship. And as he did that, he transformed her. Her shame became her glory. And she ran to her village, and she told the people there, and she said, come and see. And so they come out to Jesus. They come and see Jesus, and they believe. And they ask him to stay for two days, and even more believe. And so... These half-breed Jews, these Samaritans with half-bred religion, they believe Jesus, and Jesus spends two days with them harvesting worshipers for the Father. And so we pick up in John 4:43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. And so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had returned from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, about 1 p.m., the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Father, would you make us like the Samaritans that we saw last week? Lord, would you make us like this man in this story, this royal official who comes needy and desperate 
and whose eyes are opened to the truth. Lord, would you open our eyes? Through your word, by the power of your spirit, would you do your good work? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out, Mel Gibson's movie, I was living in Meridian, Mississippi, and I was talking with a neighbor, uh, a woman. We were talking about the movie. She had just gone to see it. And she told me with tears how much the movie had meant to her. And I asked her, well, tell me, tell me a little bit more. Why was the movie so moving to you? And she said that she had cried in the movie when they started beating Jesus and that she had even cried out in the theater, don't hurt him. Stop hurting him. And it was remarkable to me how much this woman was moved by that movie and how much she was moved by the very graphic depiction of physical pain on the screen, but how little she was moved in, in reality by the real Jesus. She was moved by what she saw on a movie screen, but she did not, in fact, know Jesus. She did not receive Jesus, the real, true, and living Jesus. And that's what is going on here. It's kind of a peculiar story. It doesn't get a lot of play. It is between this really important story about the Samaritan woman and it's about to be followed by a really long story where Jesus gets in trouble for healing a man on the Sabbath. So right in the middle, we have this story about Jesus healing a man's son and what makes it curious is that he goes to Galilee and he says, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Meaning, that it was a common saying, right? That a prophet is maybe appreciated everywhere else, but he's not appreciated in his own hometown. What does Jesus mean by that? The other gospel writers use it too. They talk about the unbelief present in Galilee where Jesus is from. And so... Why does Jesus go to a place where he is not going to be honored? And maybe even more curious than that, why does it say that they welcome him? Literally that they receive him. We sang the first song, right, about receiving the king. Here John says they receive him. What does he mean then that he has no honor in his own hometown, in his own country? I think John is being... Sarcastic, for lack of a better word. He's using irony, and we're going to see that. Because look at why they honor him. They had seen what he had done in Jerusalem. They'd seen what he'd done at the feast, the signs and wonders. And back in John 2, we talked about people who believe because they see signs and wonders. It is a fleeting faith. It is a rootless faith. It only loves the miraculous. It does not love the one who does the miracle. And so that's what's going on here as Jesus comes back to his own hometown. Remember where he's coming from. He's just come out of Samaria. What signs did he do there? What wonders did he do there? What miracles? None. But he spoke. And these people who don't even have the right religion believed. They followed him. And Jesus is almost saying... We're leaving fertile ground to go into rocky soil. 
they're going to look like they're glad we're here. They're going to they're going to roll out the red carpet. They're going to celebrate the hometown boy coming back. But there will be no true honor here. There will be no true worship like what we saw in Samaria. And so here's what we're going to see. Here's what the story teaches us. I believe that true faith, real faith in Jesus is more important than miracles. That real faith in who Jesus is is more important than the powerful, miraculous things that he does. And we're going to figure out why that, how that applies to us. But first, let's look at this. That a love of miracles, a thirst, a hunger, a desire to see the miraculous, can actually miss the real miracle. It misses Jesus. Jesus had just come out of Samaria unclean, dirty, non-Jewish Samaritans, they received Jesus' word and believed. And now he's coming into his own people. And it's somewhat like if you, um, if you come from this part of Chilton County, central and western Chilton County, right where the, where the, the soil is fertile, I remember, it's like, we have, it's like we have magic dirt here. I remember going up the block, just, just up this road, and then taking a right on, I guess that's 8th, to go back to the Vincens. And right there at that corner, between the sidewalk and the curb, a pumpkin grew. And I watched it over, because I work here, so I drive that pretty regularly. Like, I watched it over the course of months as, like, this vine flowered and became a small little pumpkin. Now, it didn't last much longer after that. Somebody came along and snatched it or threw it or whatever. But I would, I mean, that's in the dirt between the sidewalk and the curb. A pumpkin grew here. All right, so imagine the magic dirt right here in this part of Chilton County. But if you drive... To the eastern part of the county, out towards the river, you get nice, good, red, rocky dirt. And you can grow stuff there, but it takes a lot of work. As the kings know, as the fondrens know, um, when all the grass seed washes down to the bottom of the hill, you have no grass on the top of the hill and all the grass is at the bottom, right? That's where Jesus is going. Right now, all of the gardeners and the farmers in the room are like, he has no idea what he's talking about. And you are absolutely right. But go with me, okay? Let's just pretend. All right? Jesus is going from where the, the soil is fertile and where worship readily springs up and grows. And he's going back, ironically enough, to his own people. And he finds the soil to be rocky. They are not interested in his words so much as they are interested in his miracles, interested in his displays of power. John 1.11, we already saw it, right? It says that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And so what Jesus says here about his hometown really applies to Galilee, which is Jewish territory in the north, and to Judea, where he just came from, which is Jewish territory in the south. Both places... Faith only runs as deep as the miracles performed. They're so excited about the signs and wonders that they're going to miss the Savior, which explains what happens next. This royal official from Capernaum hears that Jesus has come back. And so this man, he probably worked for the regional governor for Herod, uh, who was popularly called a king. And he worked in Capernaum, which was an important port city on the Sea of Galilee, about 
20 miles from where Jesus is in Cana. So this important person from this important city makes the 20-mile trek uphill to Cana. And when he meets Jesus, he begs him, right? Literally, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and continually asked him, pleaded with him, begged with him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The situation is grave, and maybe it's hard for us to kind of imagine this in our ibuprofen and emergency room age. Um, Maybe it's not so hard to imagine for many of us what it's like. I know it's not hard for many of you to imagine what it's like to have lost a child, a very commonplace occurrence at this time, right? Where did you go when you got sick? Who did you see? What did you do when the fever struck? And so it says this boy, this man's son, is about to die. In modern terms, they've called in the family. They're about to take him off life support. And so this is a last-ditch effort. Uh, This man doesn't even know, leaving his house, that he's ever going to see his son alive again. But it's worth it if he can get Jesus to come back and heal him. And so he goes and he finds Jesus and he pleads with him. But then Jesus says something that, We don't expect. In fact, it sounds rather mean. He says in verse 48, Unless you see, and that you is plural, so it's a good southern y'all. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I mean, you want to tell Jesus to take it easy. This man's son is about to die. Why, Why are you being cruel? Give him a break. But here's what Jesus is doing, and it it hinges on that word y'all. Jesus isn't just addressing this man. He is addressing the attitude that is pervasive pervasive of his own people. He is addressing, he is challenging the, the false and groundless faith of his own people that longs more for miracles than it does for the miracle, that longs more for signs than it does for the Savior. What Jesus is doing, and he's using this man, and it's for this man's own good, is he's, he's asking him, what do you really want? What are you seeking from me? What do you want from me? You're looking for miracles, and you're missing me. And this is the problem in our day with what is called the prosperity gospel, health and wealth teaching that says that only if your faith is strong enough, only if you would believe enough, then you will be healthy and you will be wealthy, that your life will be a rosy picture. What that, what that theology does is it makes Jesus the sideshow and makes his blessings the main event. But Jesus is never the sideshow and he's always the main event. And he realizes that's what's happening here in Galilee. And so he challenges this man. He tests him. He wants to see, are you going to believe in me? Or are you going to believe in the the circus? Are you going to believe in just what you can see me do? And here's the truth, right? Your 
body can be the picture of perfect health. And your bank account, you, can have, you could have all the wealth imaginable in the world. And if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. A healed son is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Conversely, your body can be racked with pain and about to die, and your bank account can say zero. But if you know Jesus, then you are rich beyond your wildest imagination. And so Jesus is calling this man to account. He wants to know, and he's calling us to account. He's challenging us. Will you have real faith? Will you trust the real me? And the man says to him in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's not interested in signs and wonders. He wants his boy back. He's desperate. And with that answer, Jesus works. Jesus goes to work. He makes the long trip to Capernaum. He lays his hands on the boy and he shouts a really long and loud prayer that brings him back to life. Nope. He doesn't go anywhere. He simply looks at the man and says, Your son lives. From 20 miles away, down rocky hills, all the way to the sea, he can't even see the boy. He's, he doesn't touch him. He just says, Your son lives. And do you know what the real miracle is? The official believes. He hears Jesus' word, and he believes. And honestly, Jesus didn't even have to say a word. The word he spoke was for the man's benefit, for the father's benefit. He took Jesus at his word, and he made his way home. And so we see that faith begins with trusting Jesus' word. It doesn't begin necessarily with the miraculous. It begins with the Word, Jesus' Word, which is what the Samaritans believed. So this man believed. But then we see this, that faith is strengthened by the sign. As he was going down, you have to go down to Capernaum from Cana. It's a downhill trip. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was alive. Same word that Jesus just spoke. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at one o'clock, the fever left him. And so when this man left home, he wasn't sure he would ever see his son breathing again. The thought of just getting Jesus to help overwhelmed the possibility that he would never see his son alive, that he might come home to a corpse, but he doesn't come home to a corpse. So the boy lives And when did the fever leave? Exactly when Jesus said it would. A fever is no match for the king of heaven. Death is no match for the Lord of life. They say that there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. 
there is, there is one enemy that every single one of us will face that we cannot defeat. There is one enemy that we cannot beat, and that is death. And yet here, even death is no match. He cannot compete with Jesus. He cannot compete with the word of life. And so what happens is this man's fragile, fledgling faith in a word goes into full blossom at the sign. The miracle confirms and strengthens his faith. And not only that, not only does he believe, but his whole household believes. And that's how it's supposed to work. We come to Jesus desperate and needy. We hear the word of life. We believe. And then we watch as he goes to work, working in our lives, demonstrating his power and grace. So there's the problem with health and wealth theology and every version of it that says, expect the blessing. Look, if you're coming to Jesus so that you can use his power for your own benefit, you will be sadly disappointed. Jesus does not work for you, and he does not work for me. And when we treat him as such, We receive the challenge that this man received. What do you really want? What is your faith made of? But if you come to Jesus looking for his grace, if you come to Jesus looking for his mercy, then he will work for you. He will work in you. He will bring new life. He is happy to bless with magnificent displays of power that confirm the faith. The signs, and we need to remember this in our day because we're just as in love with miracles, we're just as in love with the circus, we're just as in love with the power. Signs are there to point to Jesus. Right? The sign at the interstate that says, Welcome to Clanton is not there to point to itself. Right? You have not arrived at Clanton when you're standing at the sign. Okay? I mean, you have arrived, but that, if that was all you did, if that was as far as you went, you would have missed Clanton. The signs are not there for themselves. The signs are there to point to Jesus. And so we need to make sure that we don't miss Jesus. The purpose of miracles... The reason Jesus did miracles, and we need to think about this when we long for miracles in our own day, the reason that Jesus did miracles was to show that the kingdom of heaven was invading the broken kingdom of earth. He was coming into a broken world, and he was healing sick people and restoring sight and bringing people back to the dead to show that the new age was coming. It wasn't just for the sake of miracles. He was coming to show, just as we sang, that the age of sin and death is going away. And he is the one who is banishing it. John finishes in verse 54. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The first sign was already mentioned in 46. 
where he had, he's in the same place where he turned water into wine. Why does John reference this miracle twice? What's so important about this? Well, it's in this place that Jesus began his ministry. And we saw that when he turned water into wine, he was, he was transforming the old age into the new. He was the new purification. He was the better wine that replaced the old water. And now what Jesus is declaring is that he is the life that replaces death. He is the one whose words give healing and declare that death will not have victory forever. So why are you drawn to Jesus? Is it for the fireworks? Is it for the Lexus? Is it for the mansion? If that's why you're drawn to Jesus, when you meet the cross, you will be sorely disappointed. Jesus' own blessings laid on the other side of the cross, on the other side of suffering. He would bring life, and he brings life for those who believe, but it waits on the other side of suffering. And we must go through it to receive life. But Jesus has come to give just that. When we come to this table, why do you come to this table? Do you come because it's what you're supposed to do? Do you come because you're looking for fireworks? Or do you come and take the wine? Do you come and take the bread because you want to meet Jesus? Because you want to feed on Him? Because you want to be wrapped up in a part of His life? That's the invitation to the table. That's the invitation to Jesus. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we ask that you would give us true faith. Not the rootless faith that loves simple miracles, but a faith that embraces the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world who embraces the cross and takes it for us. Do that good work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite the elders forward uh, to take the cloth off the table. And while the elders are uncovering the table, let me just tell you a little bit about what we do, why we come, why we have this sacrament. First, it's not the...